Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, my fellow Atlantean enthusiasts and friends. I feel like the real world has done gone crazy. I must admit that I think that I have the best listeners in this entire crazy world. I appreciate it so much that you keep coming back week after week to learn more. It must say a lot that we're using the Bronze Age to escape, considering that it was a very brutal time to live. I've started my journey with the book Atlantis, the Antediluvian World, and the first chapter has already made me want to go on a rant. Donnelly refers to the Garden of the Asperities as the Garden of Eden. While there are an interesting rumored connection to a tree of life and a tree of knowledge on either side of the Straits of Gibraltar, Genesis in the Torah makes it clear that the Garden of Eden was located by the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. The Torah is the first five books of Moses that are used in Abrahamic religions. Now, I do recognize that the Phygerians and the Atlanteans had the same creation story, so they have a bit of a common source from somewhere. Remember, the Phygerians were the people who inhabit modern-day Turkey. Turkey's close to Iraq, for those who don't obsess over the map like I do. Possibly Gobekli Tempe as a mother civilization. If you haven't heard of Gobekli Tempe, it is definitely worth a podcast or two. Though, I'm not sure if there's any connection to Gobekli Tempe with Plato's Atlantis other than the civilization is really old. For this episode, I will be discussing Hanno the Navigator and his extensive travels. You will hear a familiar name like the city of Cern or Kern. It wasn't until Latin that the C's started to make the soft C sound, so C's were pronounced as K's in ancient Greek. This would be true even for later Latin, so like how we pronounce Caesar for king, it would actually be pronounced Kaiser. Hanno is a Phoenician explorer that was known for his travel around Africa. To accomplish this podcast, I used the help of the following sources, Wikipedia, and an article from Phoenicia.org. Hanno the Navigator was a Carthaginian explorer of the 5th century BCE, best known for his naval exploration of the western coast of Africa. Just to clarify, this would be after Solon went to Egypt in roughly the 7th century BCE, and roughly around the same time as Herodotus. Plato wrote about Atlantis during the 4th century BCE. The only source of his voyage is a Periplus translated into Greek. He has sometimes been identified as a king. According to accounts, Hanno's journeys were written on the pillars on the Temple of Kronos. A Greek scribe or historian summarized the account into a shortened version of just 101 lines. The original account has been written in Phoenician and has since been lost. Historians have attempted to identify the places on Hanno's route based on the Periplus. According to some modern analysis of his route, Hanno's expedition could have reached as far south as Gabon. However, others have taken him no further than southern Morocco. The Carthaginians tell us that they trade with a race of men who live in the part of Libya beyond the Pillars of Heracles. On reaching this country, they unload their goods, arrange them tidily along the beach, and then, returning to their boats, raise a smoke. Seeing the smoke, the natives come down to the beach 
place on the ground a certain quantity of gold in exchange for the goods and go off to a distance. The Carthaginians then come ashore to take a look at the gold, and if they think it presents a fair price for their wares, they collect it and go away. If on the other hand it seems too little, they go back aboard and wait. The natives come and add the gold until they are satisfied. There is perfect honesty on both sides. The Carthaginians never touch the gold until it equals in value what they have offered for sale. The natives never touch the goods until the gold has been taken away. This is from Herodotus, The Histories. It's very likely that this story is based upon Hanno's original report. Two Arab authors, the Moroccan Abu Abdullah Muhammad Abin Muhammad al-Abdarisi and the Syrian Abin Abdullah al-Rami al-Hamun Akut independently state that this method of bartering was still in practice in their own days by gold producers from the Bambouk region. This suggests that the Hanno ship to Singal was a trade mission. The Greek author Arian of the 2nd century, he writes that Hanno left Carthage and sailed beyond the pillars of Heracles on the Atlantic Ocean, keeping Libya on his left-hand side. He sailed eastward for 35 days, but when he turned to the south, he encountered many problems. Lack of water, burning heat, and rivers of fire flowing into the sea. This statement may not seem very important, but it really is. The ancient mapmakers saw Africa as a trapezium, or triangle, with the Mediterranean coast as its longest side. Arian's statement that Hanno sailed to the east and then southwards can therefore not have been invented and must go back to Hanno's report. The third text is in the Natural History by the Roman encyclopedias Pliny the Elder from around the first century AD. He is not a credulous writer. He dismisses several stories which grew up around Hanno's journey as fabrications. This forces us to take the following statement very serious. When the power of Carthage flourished, Hanno sailed around from Cadiz to the extremity of Arabia and published a memoir of his voyage, as did Hemoclo, when he was dispatched at the same date to explore the outer coasts of Europe. It is also worth noting that a lot of the ancient maps don't show Africa in its entirety. It usually will show some form of water separating the continent maybe lending credence to the fact that Africa was once separated. So now I'm going to read to you the actual notes from Hannah's voyage, along with the accepted comments from scholars. How this will go is I will read to you the actual account that was written and translated and then I'm going to read the notes that accompany it. This is the account of Hanno, king of Carthage, about his voyage to the Libyan lands beyond the pillars of Heracles, which he has also set up in the shrine of Kronos. Comment. Libya is the Greek name for Africa. The pillars of Heracles refer to the Strait of Gibraltar. Kronos is a Greek god who may be identified with Baal, Haman. Hanno's title, King, is usually rendered by the name, is usually rendering of the name of the High Carthaginian Magistrate. 
but in this case it may be a special magistrate. Translation Number 1. The Carthaginians ordered Hanno to sail out of the Pillars of Heracles and found a number of Libya Phoenician cities. He set sail with 60 50 oared ships, about 30,000 men and women, food, and other equipment. Comment The number of 30,000 is suspect. The ships would be very crowded. However, Hanan Adel Empire Punique in his book in 1983 from Paris suggests that it was 5,000 instead. The Libyo Phoenicians are the Phoenician colonies in Africa such as Carthage, Laptis Magna, etc. Translation Number 2 After sailing beyond the pillars for two days, we founded our first city called Thymia Tyrion. Below it was a large plain. Comet Thymia Tyrion means altar of incense. It is to be identified with the Moroccan harbor of Mihilda, 40 kilometers north of Rabat. Translation Number 3 Sailing westward from there, we arrived at Solius, a Libyan promontory covered with trees. Comet Most scholars place Cape Sololis at Cape Canton, also known as Cape Bedouza. However, it is impossible to travel eastward from here, as indicated on line 4. A possible alternative is Cape Mazagin, the hills opposite of Aes Memor. From there, it is possible to start a reconnaissance expedition up the river Om Ir Reba. Translation Number 4 Here we dedicated a temple to Poseidon, sailing to the east for half a day. We reached a lake. It was not far from the sea, and it was covered with many long reeds from which elephants and other wild animals were eating. Comment. The Greek name Poseidon is a translation of the name of an unknown Phoenician lord of the sea. Several lakes can be found along Umoriba. In fact, it may be called Morocco's quote-unquote lake district. Translation number five. After our visit to the lake, we sailed on for one day. By the sea, we founded cities called Kerkon, Tekios, Gaitet, Akera, Melidia, and Arambis. Comment. It is unclear in what direction Hanno traveled after leaving the lake. Did he move upstream along Uriba? Did he sail along the coast? It's hard to give an answer, but perhaps the first alternative is more plausible. Maybe the Carthaginian leader decided to pay a visit to the local chief, asking permission to settle his people on the coast. This chief may have lived in what is now Iamphout, a day and a half journeys upstream, a town that still contains the ancient name of Om Ariba. These colonies may be identified with Azamor, the Kerakin Tecos, the real name of this colony may have been Keris, Castle of the Sun. An alternative theory is that Tekios is the Greek rendering of the Phoenician word for sandbank. Several Carthaginian tombs have been found at Azimur. The name Azimur means olive branch in the Berber language, indicating what Hanno was looking for. El Jadira Gayet 
a Carthaginian necropolis, has been excavated. The name may have been derived from geth, or cattle. Cape Bedusa, if the Greek word akira renders the Phoenician rash, or premonitory. The Greek word may also be read as hakra. The Greek alphabet did not have a character to express the H, the Phoenician word for castle, quadelia, the almost unchanged name of Mytilida. The lagoon makes an excellent harbor. Melita is mentioned by the Greek scholar Hecatasis of Melite, who lived around 500 BCE. This proves that Hanno lived in the 6th century BCE. The islet of Mogador, opposite of Esquira, Ambris. It's a Phoenician name, must have been Har Aben, meaning Mountain of Grapes. Again, archaeological discoveries indicate Carthaginian presence. According to the excavator A. Jodin, the site was occupied in the first half of the 6th century. Some inhabitants made a living by extracting purple dye from shellfish. Since this report is fairly long, I did separate it into two separate sections, so I'm going to continue on from here. Translation number six. Continuing our voyage from there, we reached the Lyxus, a large river flowing from Libya. The Lyxites, a nomadic tribe, were pasturing their cattle beside it, remained with them for some time, and became friends. Comment. The Lyxos, Phoenician Lyx, is often identified with the River Draw, which flows into the Atlantic Ocean opposite the Canary Islands. However, there are alternatives. De Carpaccino thinks that Hanno returned to the north, where a large Phoenician city, known to the Greeks as Lyxos, has been excavated in the neighborhood of modern El Arachi. 70 kilometers south of Tangier, its coins bear the Phoenician legends MQMSHMSH, which is Abode of the Sun, and Lyskish, or Lyxos. A river in the neighborhood is called Lekus. Plausible, though, the identification may seem, is a bit odd that Hanno sailed back and forth. The third candidate of the river Massa, or Gas, which empties into the ocean 50 kilometers south of Agir. Its upper reaches belong the most fertile of the whole of Morocco. Here we find Lake, the capital of the old Berber kingdom Tazerol, which used to control the caravans to Sudan. A Greek writer may have easily corrupted Lake and or confused with northern town of Lyxis. In fact, Pliny the Elder did confuse northern Lyxis with the Berber kingdom. The latter identification has the advantages of suiting the identification of five colonies. Translation Number 7. Beyond them, hostile Ethiopians occupied a land full of wild animals. It was surrounded by the great mountains from which the Lyxis flows down. According to Lyxites, strange people dwell among these mountains, cavemen who run faster than horses. Comment Ethiopians means people with burnt faces. It is the usual word for the native population. Depending on the identification of the Lyxis, we may identify their mountainous country with the mountains of Gur, 
Tisea, and Rich. With the western foothills of the Rift Mountains and with the Anti-Atlas. Translation 8. When we had got the interpreters from the Lixites, we sailed along the desert shore for two days to the south. After sailing eastward for one day, we found the recess of a bay, a small island which had the circumference of five states. We left settlers there and called it Kern, or Cern. We calculated from the journey that this island lay opposite Carthage, for the time sailing from Carthage to the Pillars and from there to Kern was the same. Comment. Kern renders the Phoenician Cherna, which means last habitation. It is attempting to locate the islet called Hearn in Rio de Oro Bay, close to Ad Dakhel. Unfortunately, Hearn has the circumference of 20 kilometers, whereas Hanno's five states were only 900 meters. A very plausible alternative, preferred by J. Roman, is to identify with one of the islands in the Bay of Arguin at the Mediterranean coast. If this is correct, the name Cherna lives in the name of the desert region, which is called Gingner. Both identifications, however, suffer from the same drawback, the distance between the river Lyxos, which is a precise location, and Kern, which is more than three days' sea journey, which is when we take into account that Hanno made use of the Canarian current and northeastern trade winds. Therefore, the first editor of Hanno's narrative, Carl Mueller, proposed to read 12 instead of 2 for the voyage along the desert coast, postulating the common scribble error B instead of IB. Translation number 9. Sailing from there, we crossed the river called Charites and reached a bay which contained three islands, bigger than Kern. After a day's sail from here, we arrived at the end of the bay, which was overhung by some very gray mountains crowded with savages clad in animal skins. By throwing stones, they prevented us from disembarking and drove us away. Comment. The three islands probably belong to Tidra Archipagio off the Mauritanian coast. The river Chites proposes new problems. In the manuscript, it is written without an accent, indicating that the scribe considered the word corrupt. Mueller suggests that it can be identified with the river Charmentes, which is known from Aristotle, and may be the rendering of the Phoenician Charmet wine river. Another problem is its identification because there is no big river on the part of the coast. The first river, when crosses after leaving Kern in the Bay of Arguin, is the Tenebrote, a very small stream. Next comes the Tingerit, which is a very large estuary and seems to have fitting name. However, Hanno writes that he had already passed the river when he entered into the bay with the three islands. The Terejit is south of the Tidra Archipagio, where there is no suitable candidate for the very great mountains at the southern end of the bay, where Hanno must have left behind a savage and appalling image of white men. Translation number 10. Leaving from there, we arrived at another large, broad river teeming with crocodiles and hippopotamuses. Returning from there, we went back to Kern. I'm going to just kind of butt in here real quick and talk about hippopotamuses. Hippo, being Greek for horse, potamus, being Greek for water, would be a water horse. Back to the story. Comment. 
The broad river must be Singal. Upstream is the gold-bearing region of Bambuk. There is a clue that Hanu obtained precious metal at the delta of this river. Its name comes from Sanu Kunu, or River of Gold. His Berber interpreters must have been useful helpers. Hanu's return to Kern may mean that he brought his purchases to safety before he started his reconnaissance voyage to the unknown south. This interpretation of Hanno's trip is admittedly speculative, but it is not unreasonable to suppose that the Carthaginians did not permit the Greek translator of Hanno's inscription to reveal their trade secrets. Translation Number 11 From there, we sailed to the south for 12 days. We remained close to the coast, which was entirely inhabited by Ethiopians, who fled from us when we approached, even to our lick sites. Their language was unintelligible. Comment When we accept a humble hundred kilometers as a day's journey, the twelve days voyage must have taken Hanno to Guinea. There are two, not conclusive, indications that he progressed further. A. Hanno's remark that his translators were unable to speak with the native population suggests that he had entered the regions where crew languages were spoken, in modern Sierra Leone. B. Section 13 strongly suggests that the 12 days journey brought Hanno to a point two sailing days before Cape Palmas. If this is true, Hanno reached Monrivia in Liberia. He will have sailed some 130 kilometers each day, which is certainly possible. Translation number 12. On the last day, we anchored by some big mountains. They were covered with trees, whose wood was aromatic and colorful. Comment. A possible location for Hanno's Harbor is Cape Mezzerado, close to Monrovia. Note his attention for what must have seemed a fine trade object. Translation number 13. Sailing around the mountains, for two days we came to an immense expanse of sea, beyond which the landward side was plain. During the night we observed big and small fires everywhere, flaming up at intervals. Comment. Two days of sailing brought the Carthaginian sailor past the rainforest to the river Daobi, close to Cape Palmas, at the border of Liberia and the Ivory Coast. In front of him, he saw the Gulf of Guinea. Translation number 14. Taking on water there, we continued for five days along the coast until we reached a great bay, which according to our translators was the Horn of the West. There was a large island in it. In it was a lagoon, which was salt like the sea, and on the other island, we disembarked. In daytime, we could see nothing but the forest, but during the night we noticed many fires alight and heard the sound of flutes, the beating of cymbals, and tom-toms, and the shouts of multitude. We grew afraid, and our diviners advised us to leave this island. Comment. The Horn of the West is mentioned in several geographical texts from antiquity, but always as a promontory, never as a bay. Probably, we should translate, we reached the Great Bay, which was the Bay of the Horn of the West. The most likely identification is Cape Three Points in modern Ghana. After sailing along the Ivory Coast, Hano has reached the peninsula that gives access to the Bight of Benin. 
The mysterious island where Carthaginian sailors survived their nightly adventure can be anywhere on the western delta of the Niger River. Translation 15. Quickly, we sailed away, passing along a fiery coast full of incense. Large torrents of fire emptied into the sea, and the land was inaccessible because of the heat. Comment. The story is repeated in the next line. The odd duplication cannot be explained, but we may consider the possibilities of a mistake by the Greek translator. A better theory is that the scribe who composed the text on the stele at the shrine of Kronos interviewed two sailors. Translation 16 Quickly and in fear we sailed away from that place. Sailing on for four days we saw the coast by night, full of flames. In the middle was a big flame, taller than the others and apparently rising to the stars. By day this turned out to be very high mountain, which was called Chariot of the Gods. Comment. There has been some discussion about the site of the Chariot of the Gods. Some have identified it with Kakalima in Guinea, which would considerably shorten Hanno's voyage. In this reasoning, the Horn of the West is situated in Bigelos Archipagio. However, this volcano has not been active since a very long time before Hanno. This leaves us with Mount Cameroon, which happens to be a perfect alternative. The native name happens to be Manga Maluvia, Seat of the Gods. If we were to translate this into Greek, it would become Theon Okima. The scribble error can be made very easily. In 1922, the lava of Mount Cameroon poured into the sea. Translation 17. Sailing thence along the torrents of fire, we arrived after three days at the bay called the Horn of the South. Comment. The Horn of the South must again be a premonitory. Maybe the peninsula on which Gabon's capital, Libreville, is situated. An alternative is Cape San Juan, less prominent, but the first one the Carthaginians encountered. In both cases, the bay appears to be Corsico Bay. Translation number 18. And this gulf was an island, resembling the first, with a lagoon, within which was another full island, full of savages. Most of them were women, with hairy bodies, whom our interpreters called gorillas. Although we chased them, we could not catch any males. They all escaped, being good climbers who defended themselves with stones. However, we caught three women, who refused to follow those who carried them off, biting and clawing them. So we killed and flayed them, and brought their skins back to Carthage, for we did not sail any further because our provisions were running short. Comment. The encounter with the gorillas cannot have taken place on Corisco Island or any island, since gorillas do not swim. They are not known for throwing stones and living in groups either, but the identification with this species of anthropoids seems certain. It must have taken place on the African mainland and most plausible site is the northwestern point of Libreville Peninsula. The Sufit must have been very difficult, having to beat against the northeastern trade wind and the Canary Current. The Roman author Pliny the Elder knows that the gorilla furs were exhibited in the temple of the goddess of Tanit until Carthage was destroyed by the Romans. And that concludes 
Hanno's Voyages Around Africa. I hope you found it entertaining and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Lamedon, who was the father of Priam, was king of Troy, and when Lamedon refused to give the gods Apollo and Poseidon a promised reward for building their famous walls of Troy, the gods sent a pestilence and a sea monster to ravage the land. An oracle revealed to Lamedon that the only way to save Troy would be to sacrifice his daughter, Hesanine. So, Hesanine was bound to a rock to await her death. But Alcides, Hercules, who happened to be at Troy, probably for the belt, offered to kill the sea monster and rescue Hesanine in exchange for Lamedon's divine horses. However, once Alcides had killed the monster and saved Hesanine, Lamedon refused to give up the horses. So, Alcides left Troy and then returned with a band of warriors. They captured the city and killed Lamedon and all of his sons except for Priam and Tithonius. And Tithonius was eventually carried off by Eos, which is the personification of Dawn. <laughs>